Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. We must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, what immediately strikes me there? is there is a watering down of the gospel and the truth is not being preached or the truth is not known, unfortunately, because people don't read the word as as they used to in the old days. Back in the old days, they were diligent with this thing. In our day, we tend to leave it for the pastor to tell us a little bit about it once a week. But we need to hear it or read it every single day, don't we? We need to get this thing into our heart. God gave us a manual to help us through life. If we don't read it, we don't get help through life. And we wonder why we hit so many, you know, blocks and and, and so many ends that just don't go anywhere. And we have so much trouble in our life. You know what I mean? If we abandon the word, if we abandon the manual that God has given us, then we're left to our own devices. But we need to be worshippers of the Father. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the truth comes from this, and the spirit is, is comes as a result of worshipping the truth. Amen? Does that make sense? So we need to be very, very clear on what the word says, and that's why I, I need to get clearer and clearer, and you guys need to, and you need to keep me honest, and I need to keep you honest. Amen? That's really what a congregation is all about. You know, if you don't agree with something I'm saying, just tell me straight up. Say, look, I just have a little bit of a query with this point here, you know, and then let's, let's discuss this because, you know, we live in a day where Jesus says four times in Matthew 24, four times he said, beware of deception, beware of deceivers that are going to be around in the last days. He doesn't say that about anything else. Four times. He mentions deception in Matthew 24. So what's the biggest thrust of Satan in the last days is to deceive. And it says even the elect, if it were possible. Right? Now how does one man standing on his own keep himself free from deception? Well, he finds it very difficult. And I'll tell you why. He needs a congregation. He needs to be You know, iron sharpening iron. He needs to be around believers that are just as passionate and who are just as diligent looking into this thing. And we need to cross-reference, cross-check each other and keep ourselves honest and so we stay in the truth. Does that make sense? You know, so I believe God is building a church here, a church of Bereans. A church of the Bereans studied the scriptures. They glossed over the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was in fact true. We've got to do that. We've got to get that deep into the Word. And I know, after talking to most of you here, that that's exactly what we are. We are that sort of people that read the Word all the time. So make sure that you set your hearts 
to worship Jesus, to never recant of Jesus, no matter what takes place in the days to come. And in saying that, you, I'm pretty sure if any of you have watched my videos, there's a, I'm, I'm, I'm big on preparing us for the possibility of out, an outbreak of terrible, terrible persecution. You know, I know from Scripture, and I was just saying this to Sue earlier, the end of the age is the harvest. Remember, Jesus says the harvest is the end of the age. Now, we know from uh, a farmer will tell you, as the crop ripens, there's bits of fruit, little bits of fruit, enough for the family. You can take in a bit of fruit, you know, every day. But at the end of that harvest, everything ripens, right? So when Jesus says the end of the harvest, oh, sorry, the end of the age is the harvest, what he's saying is there's going to be that many souls that are going to come to know Jesus at the end of the age that it's going to make all past revivals look like nothing in comparison. So we are heading towards probably the greatest move of God in the history of man, but what is going to follow, according to Scripture, is the greatest persecution that has ever come upon the church, worse than that of the first century, and what's going to happen then is times that will be worse than any other times in history. Lots to look forward to. I like the revival bit. That's a nice bit. You know, that would be great, you know, to see people coming to Jesus and leading them in the streets to Jesus. Everywhere you go, someone says, hey, you know Jesus, lead me to Jesus. That would be beautiful. But not when they start grabbing us and getting us in headlocks and dragging us off in a paddy wagon and beating us up and throwing us in the prison. But guys, that is happening. Is that happening? Who knows? Who keeps the ear to the ground? Who reads Voice of the Martyrs? Anyone? You should. Who's read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Put up your hand if you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs right through. Bill, I know you have. Good on you, Bill. Make sure you do. Don't go through life without reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. There was three books that was considered uh, essential Christian, an, an essential Christian library. This was up until about a century ago. This, every Christian had them. It was, of course, a Bible. The second thing was Fox's Book of Martyrs. And the third thing was Pilgrim's Progress. Three books that was absolutely essential reading. So who's read Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting book. It's a great book. That could make a great movie. Don't, but don't let Hollywood take it. <laughs> They'll wreck it <laughs> like everything else. They couldn't even get the Noah movie right anyway. But, um, yeah, so Fox's Book of Martyrs, you must read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And then if you read that, it, the first few pages will just blow your mind. You'll just be like, what? And then as you keep on reading, the horror gets worse. It's sort of like reading a horror story. But then by the end, it, there's something changes inside you. Something clicks. And you go, you know what? What I was reading was true Christianity. Real Christianity. Christianity that there's people over in other countries right now living it and breathing it exactly that way. And so they wrote a book called Jesus Freaks. Who knows of that book? Yeah. And you read through that and it just, what? This is modern times. This is in the last hundred years. And then you find out from Fox's book, Martyrs, it says, more Christians have been killed for the faith in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. So 1900 years preceding the 20th century, there were there were more martyrs in one century than all those centuries, and we think we're exempt from persecution. I've heard Christians say, martyrdom, no, no, God doesn't call us to martyrdom. I go, what? 
Do you know the statistics? Do you know how many Christians are dying right now for the faith? And do you know what? A martyr is a true worshipper. That will be considered the most ultimate act of worship ever performed by a Christian. Who's under the altar in the kingdom of God crying out to Jesus to do something about the state of affairs down here on earth? Do you know what, what those saints are like? Do you know what's happened to them? Who's read that in the book of Revelation? They were all marked. They all had their heads chopped off. They were all up there crying out, Lord, 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 when are you going to do something about what's going on down here? Probably not those words, but it's best I can remember it. But do you know what I mean? So that is true worship. That is true Christianity. A lot of what, what has happened, you know, when I became a Christian, I read this Bible without going to church for two years. And I think that was a blessing because I got to know this thing very intimately. And then I started to go to church. And as people were, or ministers were standing up and saying stuff, I'm going, oh, gee, I must have had that doctrine wrong. I thought I had that one right. You know, I'm reading through. and Okay. Uh, you know, God, can you give me some more scriptures to give substance to that? You know, not to say that I didn't have stuff wrong. I did have a few things wrong. But there was a lot of stuff that I had right, and then I thought I had it wrong, and I lent myself to their way of thinking for a while until I realised, no, I had it right in the beginning. Because a plain reading of this thing is what is needed today. Amen? A plain reading straight off the page, what does it say? You know, the problem, I'll tell you, one of the problems with Christianity today is this, is Christians read too many Christian books that have an author's perspective on the Bible. And what you'll find a lot, now I've read books where you might get one scripture per chapter and a lot of man stuff. I'm not saying there's no good books out there. There's brilliant books out there. Absolutely, there's some books that will pump you up. There's some books that will give you understanding and depth of insight, like apologetics. You know, I tend to lean more to apologetic books because I just like to get more and more and more and more evidence so that I can witness better to people, so I can explain things better. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. But, man, this is going to be first. Amen. What is worship? Is worship what we do at the beginning of the service before the main event, the preaching? It is, isn't it? It is. <laughs> but, and the preaching should not be the main event, actually. But anyway, it tends to be. Um, but the worship that we do beforehand, that is worship. You know, the Bible talks about singing praises to God, lifting up our voices to God, you know, raising our arms to God. We're not, did you know that we're not supposed to go like this to a band like ACDC? Do you know what I mean? We're not supposed to put our arms up for ACDC, but humans find it very easy to go to rock concerts and do all that and come to church and they can't even raise a finger to God. Yet here we are standing in the presence of the almighty creator of the universe and we find ourselves you know, breathless a lot of the time to even utter a, you know, a word. But man, we've got to give God everything. Amen? We've got to be more fanatical in our worship than we are at a U2 concert. Not that I ever got fanatical at a U2 concert. I've never been to a U2 concert. But you know what I mean? That's, you know, these bands, man, they, they get all this worship, and that's all due to God. Because every single person has got a place in their heart that craves to worship. We have to worship. Everyone worships something. If you don't worship God, you're going to worship something, I tell you. 
You know, you're going to worship music, you're going to worship, you know, movie stars, you're going to worship your car, you're going to worship your house, you're going to worship your clothes, you're going to worship, you know, your hobbies, you're going to worship your job, you're going to worship money, that's common, isn't it? You're going to worship consuming, you know, you want to consume everything, you want to go, you know, how many people just have to go shopping just so they can get some sort of a, you know, sense of satisfaction in life, you know? I hear it often, you know, girls just feel better after shopping. I don't know why. I can't stand going shopping with women. The dictionary tells us that that it is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration of a deity. Well, in our case, of the deity, there is only God. Amen. There's only one God. His name is God. And he is a person of three persons in the Godhead. Who believes that? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible's pretty clear on that. You know there's a real push, there's a real move at the moment to keep Jesus and the Holy Spirit out of the Godhead. A real push. I get it all the time because I've got a few sermons online called Is Jesus God or God? Jesus is God. There's two, I thought, two. Is Jesus God and Jesus is God. One's got a question mark. But... Those, those videos get attacked big time by guys. You just go in there and have a look. If you want to have a bit of a debate, you know, start one up with someone who left a message a month or two ago. But um, they're telling me that Jesus is not God. Okay, well, if Jesus isn't God, what? You know, put it this way. Does the Bible say that... I'm going to read it to you. Let's turn in our Bibles. I don't get far in these sermons anymore, do I? <laughs> Well, I've, got a, I've got a few passages you can go to. If someone says Jesus isn't God, you can go to John one, John chapter 1, or you can go to Colossians chapter 1, or you can go to Hebrews chapter 1. Which one should we go to? <laughs> I know that one too. <laughs> that wasn't the options I gave you. <laughs> he wants more options. Um, can we go to Colossians? Well, sorry, I said John. I said John. We're going to Colossians now. So 1 verse 15, everyone there? Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And the firstborn is referencing that he was the firstborn from the dead, as in resurrected, and into an imperishable body. For by him, by who? Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, get this, all things were created by him and for him. All things were created by him. Now, could Jesus, if he was just a creature, create everything? It says all things were created by him, by Jesus, and also for Jesus. So to get an understanding, it's like God the Father is saying, okay, Jesus, create this. And Jesus goes, okay, I create it. And then the Holy Spirit goes, okay, I'll go and do it. Right? So it's like three levels of hierarchy. And people think because God is God the Father that Jesus is lesser, then he's not God because he's lesser than God. No, it's just the hierarchy. There is a hierarchy in the Godhead. The Father says what to do. Jesus authorises it gives authority to it, and the Holy Spirit does it. It's a chain of command. But it doesn't make them any less God. It's just the way that the Godhead works. It's as simple as that. And I could keep on going, too. Uh, it, 
Just turn quickly back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word. We all know who the Word is. The Word is Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, come on. When people try to tell me, okay, the Bible doesn't say Jesus is God. Well, just sit there. Now, if you try to talk that away, you're really beating your head against the wall. You know, it's silly to try to talk the obvious away. But they do. And you know why they do? It's because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with Satan. And they will do anything in their power to deny Jesus' deity. Because that is going to be the thing that's most attacked in these last days. If you take the deity of Jesus away from Jesus, then you've got a bunch of us, we could just as well worship Buddha or Muhammad or someone else. Because if he's not God, I'm not going to worship him. I'm not going to follow him. And if he didn't, and this is the other thing, the, uh, they're attacking the resurrection and ascension of Christ. They say it never happened, that Jesus is dead in the ground, and they're all attacking that. So really, if you're a Christian and you believe that, why be a Christian? Because now you don't even have a saviour who died on the cross for your sins. So it's, it's crazy stuff. But this is the stuff that we have to contend with, and the, what we have to contend with is intensifying all the time. I'm seeing it on YouTube. Because that's where I spend a lot of time in ministry. I'm seeing the attack on YouTube. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And expect it to get very worse to the point where one day they, well, Jesus warns us that they will lay hands on you. You know, who's ready for that? You know, I'm not ready for that. Is God ready for that? God's ready for that. The Holy Spirit's ready for that. And so what is it going to force us to do? It's going to force us to... Dig into Jesus even more to where we don't love our life that much anymore. If you love your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So we can stop loving our life. Yeah, that's the attitude of the early church. And this is what we're being brought back to. This is what we're being brought back to. You know how I was talking, we were talking about the Apocrypha before? The Antinocene Fathers is something you should look into. The Antinocene Fathers. It's the disciples of the original apostles. There's a, it's about a 10, how many volumes? 10, 12 volumes, John? And um, all the earliest writings right there at, in the first century, second century, when they were pure to the gospel, right? Really amazing stuff, worthwhile reading. I'd rather read that stuff than read modern authors because they were, they were the disciples of John and Paul and all, of, and all the rest of them in the... Uh, in the church of that time. Some incredible insights that we've got to restore, that we've got to bring back to the church so that Jesus will have a spotless bride when he returns. Right? That's what it's all about. We have to get ready. We have to prepare the way for the second coming of Jesus because is he coming? Absolutely. We know that without a shadow of a doubt. He is going to come. I actually have more faith in that than the fact that you guys are here. In front of me visually, I have I know Jesus is coming back. And man, we've got to put our hope in that. That's what the hope is. That is the blessed hope. That's why this is called Blessed Hope Chapel, because our hope is based in Jesus' return. If he wasn't going to come back, it wouldn't be worth it. But the, we've got to restore that sort of passion for what Jesus is about to come and do on this planet. We've got to get it into our hearts and we've got to rejoice over that. Every day. And we've got to look to that. We've got to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
Do you know what I'm saying? And you know what it says? For the joy set before him, he laid his life down for us. For the joy. We've got to lay our lives down for Jesus, for the joy of what he's going, he's going to give us at that time when he comes. So when he comes, we're going to be the happiest people on the planet, aren't we? We don't want to be found that we've given up the faith because a bit of persecution put us off. And then when he returns, he looks at us and says, you, you disgraceful love. When he returns, we want him to say, you guys, you stood firm. Come in and enter into the best part of heaven. I've got the best part of heaven waiting for you. And do you know what? I can tell you now, if you could just get a glimpse of what it would be like to live for eternity in heaven, in the most beautiful paradise that you could, you can't even imagine it here because there's nothing you can sort of visualise that could give you a comparison. I've, we've watched lots of videos of guys that have had heavenly experiences. They're always good. They help you to get some sort of a visual of that. But if you could actually go a million years into eternity, say, and see what the saints are living like in a million years. And they're all walking around going, isn't this unbelievable? And you know what? We haven't even started eternity yet. One million years is like a, a click up there. We have a million, 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 keep on going, more years to go. And it's going to get better and better and better. If you could just encapsulate that, you would just be like some of those martyrs in the early church and say, mate, send me to the lions. I wanted to crush me like wheat. That's what they were like. The lions come out, they would run to the lions and throw their arm out. Here's a good piece of steak for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's their attitude. They were passionate. They knew that this life was nothing. This is nothing. Jesus is everything. That's the sort of fire we have to have in our bellies, amen? And we've got to get other people into the kingdom. We've got to get other people believing like this about Jesus. That committed to Jesus and believing that he is who he says he is. God. He is God. We worship God in our daily lives, don't we? In our actions, in our words, in our witness to fellow men. Everything we do in life should be a witness, should be worship of God. Our lives should contain that. Even when you go to work, it's, we should be worshipping Jesus by how we are. Not by walking in the work and raising your hands in the air and singing some worship song and freaking everybody out. No, don't do that. Because um, we've got to be... This is the other thing. Let's not be weird Christians. Let's be Christians that identify with them right at that point and capture their heart right at a point. Always be looking for something that you can sort of just say a word, sow a seed, you know, give a seed to them. You know, I, I had a guy that I was talking to during the week and I spent about two hours talking to him and I looked high and low for an entrance point. And it just came right near the end of the conversation. I had a few words to him and as I'm sort of getting into it, someone cut, cut in on me. <coughs> and I thought, oh, that actually perfect timing because what's that thing you call it, loathing? I was about to probably dump too much on him at once and just freak him right out. So I just gave him enough. And, uh, and someone cut in and I always think, hey, every time. I've had two hours and no one's interrupted us. Just as I start witnessing, oh, excuse me, mate. Anyway, so I got a little thing in, but what I said was just pertinent. 
and it just woke him up. Don't ask me what it was, because I can't remember. But it was a good thing. Anyway, so worship is expressed in many different ways. In some countries, as I was just talking, I don't have to talk about this now, saints are laying their lives down as martyrs for Jesus. This is the ultimate act of true worship and devotion. God sees a martyr as an offering of pure love and passion for Christ. Pure love and passion. Romans 12, 1 to 2, let's just turn there. Okay, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of his mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, uh, which is your spiritual act of worship. So offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, I don't think he's actually referencing, you know, laying your life down right there. What he's meaning is sacrifice your life to him uh, as a holy and pleasing sacrifice. So the word, the key word there is holy. All right? Holiness. There's a, a word that I think the church likes to throw around every now and then, but, you know, do we actually live it? And we've got to live it. We've got to live in holiness. Do not conform, it says in verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. There you go. What's the pattern of this world? Sorry? Sinful nature. Uh, just following suit with everybody else, doing what everyone else sort of does and just and knowing that, you know, you don't feel right in your spirit but you just go along with the Joneses sort of thing. You know, someone gets a good car, so you've got to get a better car, and, you know, um, that sort of thing. You know, we can't conform, and I could probably do a sermon called Do Not Conform, or, you know, in relation to this, to go get a real depth of insight into what I believe and what we could all possibly discuss as well. What are the patterns, worldly patterns that are taking place in this world that we're conforming to? Let's identify them so when, we've, when we start conforming to that pattern, we can go, uh-uh, I know this pattern. We've discussed this already. I can't do this because it's going to lead to this. You know, who, who's a really good uh, minister that talks a lot about the culture that we live in? You know, Joe Schimmel. <laughs> yeah, Joe Schimmel is our uh, partner, um, pastor of a church in California. They were the original Blessed Hope Chapel. And he talks constantly about our culture and about the bands that we've grown up with and just what, the, what those words have, uh, you know, the, the, the words that we've been singing all these years, how it's actually affected us and changed the type of Christians that we used to be pre-1950 to how we are now and how it's been in steady decay, you know, one generation accepting, uh, you know, and accepting it, the next one embracing it, that one accepting something worse, the next generation embracing that one. And each generation we degenerate more and more and more until the point where, you know, truth is, becomes non-absolute. There is no absolute truth is what they teach in the postmodern world. There are no absolute truths. And, you know, Christians say that too. And I'm going, hang on, but didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? You know, and I've said, I've said what I'm about to say before. Jesus says, I am the truth. So when people talk about truth, they like to think it's a philosophy or it's a mindset or, or something. No, the truth is Jesus. He says it. I am the truth. So when a child looks at the sky and says, Daddy, why is the sky blue? Say Jesus. You know? 
He's the truth of that. He's the reason. Isn't he not the reason? Says Jesus created everything, so Jesus is the reason. It's not very unscientific. It won't go down in universities very well. But you imagine, you know, how does this cell work, Jesus? Oh, Jesus is for everything. Yep, he is. You know, why does this planet stay in orbit around the sun? Jesus holds it in place. They go, no, 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 gravity. Yeah, but who placed gravity there to hold it in place? Jesus. You know, everything that is, is attributed to Jesus. And it's not going to be until Judgment Day that people realise this. And there's going to be, you know, we're going to be on Judgment Day going, oh, my God, I didn't realise that because that... If I knew that, I would have been a different person back here. We don't. Well, we want to actually find out as much of this stuff now so we can live fully in Christ now, not doubting in the least that Jesus who is who he says he is. And we've also got to study what he says about himself to get a full grip on just who he is. Amen? He wasn't just a mild-mannered man who did a really good act for humanity. He's much more... The act he did for humanity was he had to. He had no choice. He had to lay his life down. His blood had to be shed. So he had to take on a human form. And that's an incredible miracle. God takes on a human form. But you know what? God can do anything. Amen? How hard is it for God to say, okay, let's put on a human form and let's go down there and save this lot? It's not a hard act for a God that we believe in. These people that believe in God but don't believe Jesus is God, it's like, well, why do you underestimate the power of God? Why are you trying to talk away the fact that Jesus and the God who is Jesus, because Jesus always was, wasn't he, way before he was born as a human, could be encapsulated in a physical body so he'd take on a new nature. So his humanity became a new nature that he adopted for a time, and he still has it, because he received an imperishable body when he went back to heaven. Amen? And he came to earth. He laid it down. But that's just the pinprick of it. There is so much more to Jesus. I'm going to do some sermons on that as well, and I, I want to try to finish this one if I can. We have, a, we have a long way to go into understanding Jesus. So the act of living holy lives is a spiritual act of worship. You know, your holiness blesses God more than anything. We've got to be holy and we've got to worship God acceptably. And that acceptableness is coming from holiness. So whatever we do in life that is sinful, you know it's sinful, porn is sinful, amen? Drinking in excess is sinful. Taking drugs is sinful. God does not look favourably among people who do that. And you're going to be held in judgment one day as a Christian for being a Christian and doing that. We've got to turn away from all those things. It's just no, there's no other choice. The Bible tells us to. You know, and they can call me a legalist all you want. If, if that's what you call legalism, cleaning up the church, well, then I'm a legalist. But I don't think it's legalism. I think the Bible spends adequate amounts of time talking about this. Actually, nearly every book of the Bible was written to confront sin. In the, in the New Testament epistles. They nearly all were written. Paul was moved by the Spirit to write those letters because of trouble going on in the church. That's why they're so heartfelt. That's why the Spirit moves so powerfully. And that's why the letters were written. So we've got to read them and take the warnings. So, okay, Paul wrote this to confront sin in the church. Have we got any of this in our church? And when you read the list, you go, yep, got it. We need to overcome it. We need to overcome it by the power of God. 
and become a holy church. And then I'll tell you, once we're a holy church, look out. God's going to use us in the great harvest. God's going to use us to do such a transformation in our community. We're going to see the most incredible things provided we live up to what he expects of us. I don't know about you, but when I talk like this, I, I feel like, oh man, I'm so miserable, rotten sinner. Oh, I need to change. And that's why I talk like this. I talk like this because this is what God's doing in me. He slaps me around first. And then he says, give it to the church as well. Because if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for them. You know? We've got to clean up our act. Holiness is what we're being called to. We are called to holiness. I won't get any more scriptures because I'll digress even further. We'll never, I don't think I'm ever going to finish this sermon. There is a growing tendency, should we worship Jesus, and I've already discussed this, but we'll use some of these scriptures a good uh, There is a growing tendency in Christians around the world to not worship Jesus, but only the Father. However, let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews 1, verses 6 to 8. And it says, And again, I don't know if I said that correctly. Again and again. When God brings his firstborn into the world, his firstborn, one and only son, let all God's angels worship him. You know, God will not share worship with anyone except God. He won't let angels worship a creation of his. He will only let angels worship his own son who is of the same likeness as himself. Amen. You must be God to be worshipped. That's why no human should be worshipped. And that's what Satan has done in this world. He's made humans worship humans. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes angels, winds of fire, his servants, flames of fire. But about the sun, he says this, Your throne, O God. See, about the sun, your throne, O God. Relating to the sun, he said to the sun, Your throne, O God. Jesus is God, right there. will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. So there you go. Jesus is God. Jesus is fully worthy of worship. And he never forced anyone to stop worshipping him when they bowed down. If, and if he were not God, then he, that would be blasphemy. It would be blasphemic to put it in the scriptures that if Jesus was not God and he got worshipped, it would be blasphemy to, to say or for him to have allowed it. But he did allow it. Let's have a look. John. John 9, verse 35 to 38. And this is when Jesus heals a man born blind. It was a big, big thing in the day. He went before the Pharisees and had to stand trial, and then they brought in the parents, you know, and he had to, you know, say, yes, it was Jesus, and, and so on, if you know the story. So John 9, 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. That was the man that was born blind. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And that word Lord is uh, in their language, in the, in the Greek language, it was God. I believe. And he worshipped him. See, he worshipped him. Does it say then, and Jesus stopped him from worshipping him? Does it say Jesus let down and said, don't worship me, I'm just a man like you? Peter said that when they worshipped Peter, remember? 
Peter healed a, healed a man uh, and they started to worship him. He says, stop it. I'm just a man like you. Paul, when he went in and, and um, healed some people, I think it was, and, uh, and, and the people came and wanted to make him gods. He says, no, 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 I'm just a man like you. And they tore their clothes. But Jesus does not say that he can stop them from worshipping him. That's because he's God. Should we worship the Holy Spirit? Only God deserves worship. Therefore, the next question is whether the Spirit is God. And Romans 8, 9. So, guys, if you're in worship and you say, I worship you, Father, I worship you, Son, I worship you, Holy Spirit, that is totally acceptable to God. It's actually encouraged to do that. Then we're honouring the three. Uh, Romans 8, 9. Yep. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. So the Spirit of God, right there. What translation have you got there? Uh, King James, what does it say there? Um, it says, but you are not in flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God will in you. Yeah, so there it is. Yeah, so the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. So it's, it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God. And I've had many people confront me about the Holy Spirit as not being God, but he's a force. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that he's a force. But is he really a force? Some will say that the Spirit is a force. However, John 15, 26, let's have a look. John 15, 15, 26. Now, we get some titles of the Spirit, and he gives us titles so that we can understand the nature of the Spirit. Yeah, he's a person, absolutely. When the counsellor comes, can a force counsel you? You know, about the only thing that a PowerPoint, which is an electrical force, is going to teach me is when I stick my hand in it or I stick a fork in there, not to do it again. And that would be the best bit of counselling I ever get. It's stupid to do it, isn't it? But... He's called the counsellor. He comes to lead us into all truth. Right? How can a force do that? They'll say, oh, you know, the tingles you feel, that's the Holy Spirit because he's a force. It's like a, you know, electrical current going through. Yeah, no, God, God does give you tingles, right? Who's had the Holy Spirit come on you and, and leave you tingling, have that sensation? I have many times. But he comes to counsel us. You know, I couldn't say what I'm saying up here right now unless the Holy Spirit was counselling me with every word that I speak. Yeah, so John 15, 26, it says, When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, so there again, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify. See, he speaks. He speaks. A force does not speak, but a person speaks. He will testify about me, but you also must testify, etc. All right, so he is not just a force. He's called a helper and that he will bear witness. A force does not help or bear witness. Okay, I just want to clear, clear that up. He's also called the spirit of truth, as I talked about before. Now, the importance of praise. Here is one of the greatest values of praise. Now, when, when we come before God in, in worship, would God tolerate us? And this is what I said in the last sermon that I did. I've done a part one of this sermon. This is part two. Would God tolerate an activity in heaven that is useless and doesn't do anything for us? Why would God create these incredible angels, you know, the cherubims and all those other wonderful angels in heaven, 
and get them singing a, a chorus of praise forever and never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, if it was a waste of time, if it didn't have some kind of benefit to God and to those that are worshipping. So there is a lot more to praise. It's not just us showing adoration to him. It's, it does something more. And, and I think Paul Bilheimer here helps us to understand a little bit about what he actually does, what it does for us, how we benefit. Not that we should do it to benefit. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's not just an aesthetic exercise that we just go, th- go through just before we start to, uh, you know, before we have a, a message delivered. We should never want to get worship out of the way. We should never want worship to stop. If you know, if, if, if we want worship to stop or if we're bored in worship, that is a signal that we've got to go, okay, something's going wrong here. I'm not where I should be. I've got to change. I've got to do some deep work right now in me, and I'm going to use this time right now in worship to change my heart and my attitude because I've come in and there's something wrong here. I can't even open my mouth. What is wrong with me? So you always use that as a gauge. But if you come in and you're fully open and you're worshipping with all your heart and you just feel like, oh, don't stop, don't stop, and you call out to Vina, keep going, do another, another round, you know what I mean? Then you know that you're in that place. You're ready. God has done something. You've been transformed. And this is how. Here's one of the uh, greatest values of praise it decentralizes self. Decentralizes. So self is not the center anymore. God's the center. You know, I think once a week at least we should decenter ourselves off ourselves because we spend the whole week just thinking about ourselves, doing what suits us, what's best for us, and then we get to worship. We wonder why we can't worship properly. It's because we've got to get off ourselves. We've got to focus on God. So it demands a center, sorry, a shift of center from self to God. One cannot praise without relinquishing, which is letting go, occupation with self. So when praise becomes a way of life, the infinitely lovely God, rather than the bankrupt self, becomes a center of worship. Thus, the personality becomes properly integrated and destructive stresses and strains disappear, like depressions and oppressions of all kinds. This results in mental wholeness. Praise produces the forgetfulness of self, and forgetfulness of self is health. You know, is depression at an all-time high in the world today, especially in the West? Is suicide rates at an all-time high, especially in Australia, especially in South Australia? What was, the, what was the town in South Australia, which is the highest suicide rate in the world? Was it Mount Barker or something like that? Incredible amount. They just, like, the head population is just like mind-blowing how many people killed themselves up there. Don't ever move there. Maybe we should plant a church there. That would be a good idea. Anyway, but um, if we can get ourselves or, or get our attention off ourselves and put it on God and give God everything, Worshipping him, it can do such deep, deep changes in us and make us the people that God intended us to be. It's for our transformation. It's to help us to become the Christians we were born to be. It's to regenerate us and create in us a, a pure heart. It's to clean us up. It's to do all these wonderful things. 
And I think we've, we've all learned to go deeper in worship, amen? To go take it further, to become new creatures in Christ and let the worship do what it says. It's like, like what Paul Wilhelm is here explaining. Let it change us, decentralise us and make us holy before God. Amen. Lord, I pray that you really do help us to assimilate everything that's been spoken uh, today. I pray you uh, help us by the power of the Spirit to take it all on board and be transformed and changed and uh, become the creatures that you've created us to be. Lord, help us to understand these truths and to walk by them and be confident in them and strong in them and not be... uh, distracted by the, uh, the foolish arguments of those in the world today. But help us to become strong in what we believe uh, and full of the Spirit and speaking boldly for your name and, and getting that sensitivity to the Spirit so that in every situation we know how to say things the right way, do things the right way, and uh, just be your ambassador and um, in, in a way that will just appeal to many people that we speak to. Because, Lord, we can't do this alone, and sometimes we do feel like we're just doing it all out on our own. But, Lord, we know that uh, it's all for our growth that we are, are to feel that way. But to help us to go deeper. Maybe we all need to pray a lot more, Lord. Maybe we all need to pray a lot more before we go out and try to tell people about you. Um, or at least pray for divine opportunities to appear before us where people are just ripe and ready for the truth. And help us to be sensitive so that we don't overload people or pour too much out. But um, always give us that bit of insight into that and keep us uh, from uh, maybe spoiling opportunities for someone's salvation, one that they may have taken if we didn't overdo it at the time we did it. So give us that sensitivity because we all need it. I know I need it desperately, Lord. Um, And um, help us to be those effective witnesses that you created us to be, Lord. Because you said that we are to make disciples and nations. That was the great commission that you left us with. So help us to become those disciple makers, Lord. And Lord, I also pray for this church. I pray that you just will lead more and more people here that will need to, that will hear this word, come to hear these words um, spoken by the Spirit. That will build them up and, and grow them in the truth. Uh, and we do need you to do the building. Your word says that I will build my church. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, it's built as labour in vain. So we don't want to be building in vain, but we want you to do this wonderful work. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Bless our fellowship now. May we have a wonderful time of fellowship together. And uh, I just pray that everyone just sort of reach out to each other and and show unconditional love uh, to each other. And that we have a wonderful time together in the name of Jesus. Amen. listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine and end times. Feel free to check them out.